Everybody get settled. We're going to welcome Thomas Varghese. If you don't know Thomas, he is one of our elders and he's part of the leadership and he is going to bring us, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, a powerful word. It is. Amen. Amen. Brown Thomas, I'm going to make your job difficult today. We have a joke. It's Thomas Brown back there and we're both Brown Thomas. I'll get a little bit louder so you can throw me down. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I rejoice when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm always happy to be here. Nate, buddy, you getting me settled down there? Okay. Well, most of the time when I'm up here, I'm either teaching or preaching. Today is not going to be like that. Part of the series we're embarked on is sharing our life experiences and faith walk with the Lord. So you're going to have a little bit of a smorgasbord today, and everything is not for everybody. Take what you need. Don't mind the rest. Okay? So if you get stuck on something that seems to bother you, leave it alone. What the Lord wants to talk to you about, he'll make clear to you. You take those and you go on with it. So, you know, I've been on this amazing journey for many years now with the person called Jesus. And it's always adventurous. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. <clears throat> and one of the lines in the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe is the kids asking these creatures, said, well, you know, Aslan is the lion who's representative of Jesus. Is he safe? So, no, he's not safe, but he's good. So, if you're looking for a nice, cozy ride with Jesus, forget it. As a matter of fact, if you're having a nice, cozy ride, I don't know who you're riding with, but you might be just tucked away in a little closet and not doing what he wants you to do. One of the first things that we need to do if we want the Holy Spirit to work in our life we have to make room for him and we make room for him we don't place conditions on it because God will not be constrained by a box if you do you won't get to see the God things that God has for your life God does God things man does man things you decide which side of the equation you want to be on Once that's done, you hand it over. And it'll scare you. I guarantee it'll scare you. Because it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. And some of these stories I'm going to share with you. There's a bunch today. Good thing I got two hours. That's right. I'm going to start at the very beginning of my life. (laughs) Well, my spiritual life anyway. Uh... Many of you don't, well, I won't say many, probably most of you know some of my story by now, but, you know, I was born in a Christian family, and my parents were exceptional in the sense that they, my great, my ancestors got converted to Christianity, like in the first century AD in India. So I have like about 2,000 years of Christian heritage, which is unusual, and scripture saying that, you know, the blessings of the Lord are to a thousand generations. I'm walking and living proof that that is true. 
So <clears throat> despite the fact that I grew up in a Christian home and I've known the gospel since I was a fetus, that's all that was around me. Uh, you know, everybody has to meet Jesus at some point. Can't be a parent's faith, can't be a friend's faith. And uh, in my younger years, to make a long story short, in my quest for truth, and I was a serious kid, and, and righteousness, what's life about, I got into a lot of things, which eventually led to drug addiction in my life. So I was a junkie by the time I was in my 20s. And, uh, and it wasn't one of those things, you know, addiction is a crazy thing. You don't intend to get addicted, but you do. And I found my life going down the tubes. And, you know, one of my friends tried to fly out of a third-story window, didn't make it. Another one was found dead in the gutter somewhere from an OD. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I saw that this was not a good way, going a good way. So I tried to quit on my own, and the most I ever made was six months. You know, then we go somewhere, and something would distract you, and then it's, it's always a fight all every day, waking up, fight. In those days, my skills that the Lord gave me, like running sound and stuff, made enough money to support all my bad habits. So unusually for, for a guy my age in India, that was not a common thing, but I, I had that skill set. So, you know, my parents didn't know a lot about it. Some of my friends did. I respected what they did. But anyway, I got to this place in my life where things started taking a dive. There are probably two years of my life I have no recollection of at all. I was in, that was when I was in college out there. I remember playing soccer because I had a soccer scholarship. <clears throat> and I remember getting stoned, and that's it. So I don't even know how I graduated, to tell you the truth. But I did. Uh, so if you look back, I have like a, almost like a blank. There are pieces in those two years that I can remember, but not much else. So um, one day I was home. And uh, completely out of my mind, well, stoned. I didn't know anything crazy like people you know, hear about, but I was sitting at dinner, but the dining table was doing this. So I couldn't sit straight. So I got up from the table, told my parents I got a headache, went to take a shower to cool me off. <clears throat> and while I was in the shower, I heard a voice right next to me saying, you keep this up next year, this time you're dead. <laughs> I went stone cold sober. I don't know what happened to me. It's not physically possible, but God did something. For the first time in years, I had a clear mind to think about what was happening to me and to think rationally. So I went to my room, and, you know, people always have these 10 steps to salvation. And I tell you, the easiest thing to do is say, Help. Jesus and he shows up you have to go through a bunch of hoops to get to him he's always there so I went to my room and it's not that I you know everybody I raised up in a good family my parents did everything right they raised me up in the way I should go and you know they loved the Lord with all their hearts spent their whole life for his ministry and for his sake so I said Jesus I've heard about you all my life my parents from the time I was born you know but here's the deal I got this problem and so, so you fix this problem, and I'll follow you. Otherwise, you and me, we're never going to talk again. 
said, forget it. I don't care who you are. And I went to bed. So I was still in school at this point. So next day, you know, back to class. So at this time, I was probably smoking about two packs of cigarettes a day and then all the rest of the stuff. I was a chain smoker, so to speak. But <clears throat> so I, was, I had a little bit of a rep. You know, if you didn't have dope or cigarettes, you, Thomas always had some on him or knew where to get one. So um, you know, you ever like go on a trip somewhere and about halfway down the road you go, oh, did I turn the stove off? You have that kind of, you know, and then and you go, oh, man, I don't know. So then you drive all the way back and realize you actually did it, you know, but it keeps nagging you. So it's about 7.30, 8 o'clock that morning. I'm on a bus going to, going to school in a big city, like in a lot of third world, there's buses, public transportation, and the college had a bus. Picked me up from my stop, and I got down there. It was about 10.30 that morning. One of my friends can say, Thomas, man, I'm out of cigarettes. Give me one. And it hit me that I didn't have one on me. I didn't know what to say because my brain's gone 200 miles an hour at this point. Because you see, by then, I'd already be on my third or fourth cigarette, to say the least. Now, I'm not condemning anybody smokes, okay? This is just my story because we all have bad habits or good habits, whatever you want to call them. If you, you know, eat too much candy, that's, this is bad. <laughs> so, but <clears throat> it was then I realized that 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 morning I'd gotten up and come to class, gone through two classes without even thinking about a smoke. And much to my surprise, I had no desire for it. I woke up flush clean of all that stuff. Drugs, whatever was in my bloodstream, all gone. Now, I don't know how to explain this to you guys, except that the Lord did something miraculous in my body. And not all people go through this. I have friends of mine who also believe and they go through a detox plan and it took them years to come off the stuff. But this was my <clears throat> story and literally I just did help Jesus, you know. Like Acts chapter 2, 21, it says, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is a little thing. So each of the, I'm going to tell you three or four stories here, and then at, at the end of this, I want to just give you some food for thought. <clears throat> is that don't put the burden of running through hoops on people who don't know Jesus just because you think it's got to be a certain way. We are all signposts for the Lord. Our job is not to fix people. We can't fix people. None of us can. Only Jesus can fix somebody. When you come to him, it says that in Christ we have become what? A new creation. He does that literally. Okay? Our job is to make sure that delivery is made to the fixer. Whatever form, shape, or fashion that takes. Whether it's through conversation, whether it's through being gentle or being a friend or just nagging somebody to let come to church with you. Whatever it is, you know. Somehow, God is going to create an avenue for you to get people to him. You make sure you do that. So, for a good portion of my life, since I realized that, I'm just trying to do this. This way, Jesus. This way, Jesus. This way. Don't look at me. I'm just a signpost. And if it weren't for the Lord's grace, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't even be there. All right? So... 
fast forward, now that I'm saved, what do I do with my life? I was upset for about two months because the Lord came through. He made the, I made the deal, right? Now what? Because I can't refute this thing that's happening. Literally. I mean, like the following week, I volunteered at a rehab shelter that they have for people who are coming off of junk. They would turn themselves in. I knew what to look for, and they were like, man, you don't understand what I'm going through. I said, oh, yes, I do, <laughs> because I was there, just like you are. So the Lord used the stuff that I'd gone through to start ministering people right away. And some people say, well, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you recover, don't go to a bar. And my case is the exact opposite. They'll put me right back in there, and it didn't bother me to this day. That was March 3rd, 1983, March 23rd, when he did that. I'm 60 years old now, <laughs> and I've been walking with the Lord for a little bit. Not as well as Father Time there, but, you know. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is that don't get in the way of what you think people ought to do. You know, church has become so sterile anymore that people who really need Jesus are afraid to come in because we've got so many things. It's like you need to take a shower to take a bath kind of situation is what we created. And we don't want to be those people. Trust me. So fast forward. Now I've given my life over to the Lord. I said, okay, all these skill sets and everything, you know, I'm just going to give them to you. And so I wanted to become a recording engineer. And the best place for that was to come here to the U.S. Because they didn't have anything like that. Because the recording engineer in those days made about 100 bucks an hour. I figured I worked 15 days a week. Set my parents up for life of missionary work and support 20 missionaries. This is what I wanted to do. You know, maybe buy a fast car or something. But... I, I my, you know, my, my uh, things I wanted were very simple for my life, like to hike, you know, like travel, and this seemed like a perfect way to use the talent, so this, I pursued that. So I got a scholarship at Union University and two other colleges, that's where I ended up. One was in Michigan, and I saw it was cold nine months of the year, and, and uh, three months of the year, as one of my friends from Maine said, we have nine months of great skiing interrupted by three months of bad sledding. But, but uh, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay there. <laughs> it was too cold. So anyway, everything worked out. And I went to the embassy to get a visa. And people were like, man, there's no way. Undergraduate, they don't ever give. I don't know. I just went and applied. Guy looked at me. I said, Lord, if they ask me all these questions, I can't lie. And if I tell the truth, they ain't going to give me the visa. They didn't ask me any of those questions. They're like, oh, you're going to scholarship. Why are you going there? I said, well, I got a scholarship. Huh, it's a private college? Yeah, it's a Christian university. What are you studying? I said, okay, come back at 4 o'clock. <laughs> came back at 4 o'clock. Even the people who took me there and back were like, don't get too excited. They're probably turning down. I had the visa. So now I have the visa. I have the admission. I have no plane ticket. <laughs> okay? This is all happening in a three-week period. So now I'm going to tell you a long story. <laughs> Two years before then, I have some friends, of, I have some relatives in Houston, Tennessee who are in the carpet business. And they sell carpets that are like $10,000, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000. I mean, these are big, big. And they only like, they don't even sell it to clients. They have people who send their decorators, say, oh, you got, you know, 100 grand to do the living room, go do something, you know. So lots of money. So they, in their high social circles, had run into a lawyer who was running around on his wife. The family was in a mess. Led the guy to the Lord. The family got restored. 
and you know all that kind of stuff and they said well we want to go to India with you next time we go so prior to all this happening a year before they came and said we want to have lunch with your family because my parents are quite instrumental in getting their business going it's really strange all right they had carpet business mom would pray she'd see a vision of a certain design and she'd tell my sis this is what's going to sell this year because it's what the Lord so they'd buy all this stuff and and the business just went from through the roof for years that would happen the Lord does this kind of stuff you know anyway they came we had lunch we went away we made friends so about this time that I got all this worked out but no plane ticket I mean plane ticket is a lot of money for my parents you know in India, if you, right now the exchange rate is, I think, 75 to 1, which means that if you take $1, it makes 75 bucks Indian. But on the other hand, if you take 75 bucks and come here, which you could treat your whole family to lunch today, yeah, one buck. So a plane ticket that costs $1,000 would now cost 75,000 rupees, right? Okay, that's not like small change for the average person. It's like you try buying a plane ticket for 75 grand. So, about two weeks before that, these guys called up my uncle and said, hey, I don't know why, the Lord just won't let us rest, but we need to send you guys $1,000. Well, I don't know about this. So, the day I'm going looking for, okay, now I got to get my tickets, he calls and says, hey, what do you want to do with this money? And we're like laughing at this point because my parents didn't have the money. So, we'll just put it in the bank. Wish that stuff like this happened all the time. But so I went to buy plane tickets. This three weeks before, August 25th, I'm supposed to be at Union. And this is like the, something like the first or second. I have all these friends who are travel agents. And they just laugh at me. He says, man, this is the like peak season. Everything's booked up two months. Hey, there's no plane tickets. Okay. So I'm like, okay, Lord, you worked all this out. So just think of this. At this point, I'm just like a kid because I don't know what else to do. There's nobody else. You know, you, you see one door open and you trust the Lord. Either you go through or you don't. And at that point, you just got to keep trusting. And so <clears throat> I had some friends on this side. I said, maybe you can get a ticket from the U.S. Because you can buy tickets anywhere. So I had another uncle who used to travel a lot. He called his traveler. He says, yeah, I'll try to find something. So finally, I got a ticket. So everything's done. I'm packed up, ready to go. Lufthansa, my first flight ever international. I mean, coming to here. And I get over there, and they look at me, and they say, Sir, who issued these tickets? So a travel agent, they says, But you shouldn't have issued these tickets, because they're not valid. They're, the seats are already booked, and they've double booked you. I said, I don't know. But they said, Well, you have a ticket. We have to honor it. <laughs> travel agent made a mistake and overbooked me on a flight, sent the tickets to New Delhi. Now they had to put me on a plane. So this is the first night I said, we can't send you out there. So here's my whole entourage, family and all, wishing the son goodbye. We all threw back home. <laughs> and I've spent three hours, you know, in there after going through all this stuff. And every time it's like, Lord. And he, every time he says, you trust me. But he says, no, but do you trust me? Yes. So you're going to go back home tonight, but do you trust me? Yes, I do. So I came back next time. Not only that, they said, sir, we don't have any cabin, any economy seats. So they bought me up the cabin. So I rode to the U.S. <laughs> with no money of mine <laughs> in a nice luxury class seat. The ticket cost me six hundred and forty, sorry, six hundred twenty-eight dollars. I think I still have the ticket. I had four hundred bucks left over, and that supported me for the next few months 
I was a union to do various things. Here's what I want to tell you. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, for as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and bring it forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall be my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it sh- shall accomplish, accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it for. Stop trying to figure it out. Who knows about tomorrow? Anybody in here? Other than that, you might wake up. That's not even a guaranteed. Am I right? It's life guaranteed tomorrow for everybody in this room. We assume it'll be because everything else seems to be going that way. Well, we don't know. And I can tell you that. Having experienced the loss of a child, you don't know what's guaranteed tomorrow. Everything will be different. So why waste your time worrying about something you cannot do anything about? Time and energy and effort, which is the devil's way of sapping the resources from your life so you can't concentrate on the things that need to be done. It's a very subtle but evil trick. He's very good at these sneaky things. Right? So what you do is you trust the Lord who says that my ways are not your ways neither are my thoughts your thoughts. Give it into his hands and say, Lord, it seems is the way, but here's what you do. I don't know what to do with it. Whatever the outcome is, you take it. Okay? My plans to become a recording engineer never worked because the Lord took me this close to everything. And to make a long story short, he basically demanded my career from me. and said, I don't want your stuff, I want you. And that's when I turned to the ministry. I always known I've been called to teach and preach, even when I was a young kid, but not like, you know, like full-time, full-time, whatever. But. So, <clears throat> the Lord always does things in strange and mysterious ways. Two plus two is not always four in his equation. He lives in, in, a, <clears throat> in an environment or in the world that encompasses ours, and it's got a dimension that we... See, we're used to seeing X, Y, and Z, Right? Three dimensions here. The spiritual dimension is a real thing. There are things going on there, even right now. Well, there's wars, there's fights between angels and demons, and there are, you know, spirits struggling for the souls of people. And that's why we pray, and that's the thing that we do in Jesus' name. So this is going on. So we have to be aware that there are things going on outside of our visual universe that we don't, and we, unless we have the spirit and the eyes of the Lord to see. And a lot of times we might not even know most of that except what the Lord wants us to know. So commit your way to him at that. So I know I'm jumping around, but I feel like these are the stories the Lord wants me to share because I think these are things that we all struggle with every day and probably through our life at different stages. The other thing was trusting him enough to know when to speak and when not to speak. So I mean, you know, here I am, you know, I'm a teen at Union and the rest is history as people say, you know, I raised my, this is my home. This is the longest I've lived anywhere. I've been in Jackson, what now, 35, 36, 37 years now. And so, 
there was a time in my life when the Lord was teaching me how to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you, this has happened to anybody who's given their life to the Lord. You're walking around minding your own business, and a thought comes to your mind about somebody you see or think, and you go, oh, that's just my brain working. No, it's the nudge of the Holy Spirit to do something about it, respond to it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You pray for somebody. What's the, what's the worst thing that happened? You ask to pray for somebody, and they say no. <laughs> it just happened to James, by the way. I've had that happen to people. Sometimes just don't. But don't worry about it. So, you know, when people say, you know, please pray for me, and you see, I'll pray for you. Tell me what's the most likely thing to happen, unless you write it down and diligent about that. About two hours later, you've forgotten all about it. Next Sunday, you see the person, oh, crap, I thought I'd say I pray for them, and I totally forgot all about it. And then you hurriedly say a quick small prayer. Oh, you're smiling, you've done it. So if you're going to pray for somebody, the Lord was saying, pray for them, don't wait. And teaching me to pray where you are as needed. If the urgency is of the Lord on you, pray, do it there. Doesn't matter where you are. And he made things very awkward for me because I've been like the airport and at Lyft and at stores. And, you know, I'm like, there's lots of people here. What do you mean pray for them, you know? But do it. And you know something amazing I've learned? Jesus can hear you if your eyes are open. He even listens to prayers and the eyes are open. I'm serious. Why do we always have to make it so awkward? All 200 people are the Christians. When I'm in a public place, I just tell people, don't close your eyes. It's fine. We're going to pray. Don't bow your head. Jesus can hear us. Just concentrate on what we're saying. If it's really distracting, close your eyes. It's fine. I'll keep my eyes open and pray. We don't have to be obnoxious about it or make people you know, uncomfortable about it. So I work for this company at this point. <clears throat> I drive a company truck. And it's a big F-250. I don't know. It's a monster. It just, every time I push the gas pedal, you can hear it go, you know. So every two, three weeks, I have to fill gas. And I have an account. The office is an account at the gas station. At Hollywood and the bypass, there's an Exxon down there, if you look down there. So for years now, I go on there. It's routine, right? Every three weeks, fill gas, go into the office. It's about usually early in the morning, you know, 7, 7.30, something like that. So one day I'm going like this. The same people have been working there. You know, the kids are working there. You see them grow up. You know, this is like, this is one kid. I think it was the owner's son. So I was out there that day. It was 7.30 in the morning. It was one of those grumpy days. You had those? You don't want to talk to anybody. You hope everything's going to be at work. Close the door. You know, you haven't even had your cup of coffee that morning to make you straight. Whatever it is. So I pull into this gas station, and I fill my gas, and I'm on my way out, and the guy's arm's in a sling, and it's, like, big. So what do I do? Like everybody else, I make polite conversation. Hey, man, what's going on? Oh, it's okay. I say, what's up with your arm? He said, oh, I got the gout. Does it hurt? Yeah. Well, I hope it gets better. That's what we do, right? Sign the ticket, and I walk out the door. I no sooner got in my truck, and the Lord said, why don't you pray for his arm? I'm like, Lord, don't bother me. I haven't even had my co- coffee this morning. I'm grumpy. I mean, why are you bothering me? And I just leave. I should know better by that. You think that somebody who's gone through all the things I've gone through would know. But here's the thing, the cool thing about it. The Lord knows that. You know, we're, we're like Jonah a lot of ways. 
He's angry that 40,000 people have gotten saved because what he said didn't come true, <laughs> right? So I leave. I go down Hollywood. I'm headed downtown. I hit the shopping center, and I cannot go any further, so I turn my truck around, you know, pull up in here, and there he is outside. This is when full service was still a thing, and there's this nice little old lady in a big Cadillac, and he's out there filling, and there's nobody else. So I get out of my truck, pull up behind him, and I can see her looking at me, and the guy looks at me, and I walk up there, and he's like, weren't you just here? Kind of a look on his face. I said, hey, man, can I pray for your arm? And he goes, what? I said, can I pray for your arm? He said, yeah, sure. And he was, you know, he's done with whatever he's doing. This is my prayer. I'm not kidding you. Lord, you told me, you told me to come and pray for this man's arm. I don't know what's going on. Pray that you make it better in Jesus' name. Amen. And I left. I said, there. Are you happy now? <laughs> you know? Jonah and his big 250 whale headed back downtown. <laughs> So, you know, three weeks later, I come back. I fill my gas. I go in there. Same guy's in there. I'm signing my ticket. I'm leaving the door. And I've totally forgotten about this. And as I'm walking out the door, the guy says, Hey, man, I don't know what you did to my arm, but it got better. I went and cried in my truck for the next 30 minutes. I said, Lord, you know, I'm such a useless goof. <laughs> and my 32nd thing that I half-heartedly said, You put it to you somehow. You see, the Lord doesn't require sacrifice. He requires obedience. You can give up your entire possessions for him. What he wants you to do is to do what he asks you to do when he asks you to do it. Don't wait. You get that prompting, just go for it. Because he doesn't require perfect people to do his will. And you've heard that again and again and again. We are heavenly treasure in these earthen vessels. Figure that out. I mean, I don't know how God manages that. But the real miracle and the mystery is that, that we have this, as Ephesians tells, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what inhabits us. And we have to learn how to understand that that is who we are, not who we think we are. So when Jesus asks you to do something, just do it. It's not us anyway. It should take the pressure off of you. It's him. What's the worst thing that I can? I don't know. People don't like what you say. They're going to do that anyway if you tell them you love Jesus. At some point, somebody's going to throw something at you for that. Right? <clears throat> so don't wait when the Lord asks you to do something. In Ephesians says that God raises up with Jesus and has put us, was it Ephesians 2, 6 through 10, you can read these, that he has put us on the right hand of Christ, right? And if you go further down, it says, for grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not for you, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are you hearing this? God has good stuff for you to do that is prepared long before you even came to know him. And the secret to walking a powerful Christian life is discovering those things that the Lord has prepared for you to do 
Because all the other things are going to create chaos. They'll create confusion. You know, look at what told Abraham to do. He promised Abraham and Sarah they'd have a kid. They got impatient at Ishmael. And to this day, every world conflict revolves around what goes on in the Middle East between Israel and all the sons of Ishmael, which is the Arab nation. So, don't create Ishmaels in your life. You'll regret it, and so will others. Be patient and look for the things of the Lord. It also should relieve you because now you don't have to jump to everything you see, you know? The Lord will show you what it is you're supposed to do. So, I'm a builder. I build things. I'm usually thrown in the middle of something that's all messed up or about to be messed up or has already been messed up or needs to be done from scratch. Both in my secular life and in my uh, calling. I'm always, I find myself always in these situations where I'm there to help build something or make something, right? Once, even though I can decorate, you know, I, that's not my forte. I understand that if I need to and I have to, I can. My wife is good at that. So once I, and I'm done painting the rooms or whatever color she tells me, you know, well, do whatever you want, honey. I mean, you make it look good. I build good, but she can't. So all of us should realize that these works that God has prepared for us in advance to do are catered to who God meant us to be. They're designed for you. And nobody else can do them like you do. That's my worth to my employer. Okay? I do TV work, which is creative work. But I also design things and, and systems and, you know, edit suites and things like that. But and sometimes I'll see something that's about to break, and I'll bring it to the attention of whoever it is. And I say, you know, if we keep doing this, it's going to end up. And they're like, oh, no. So now I see six months down the road it's going to break. I'm already working on the solution to fix the break. So what happens? It breaks. And here comes Thomas swooping in with his solution. Oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. You could fix that. And my brain, I'm going, dummy, if you'd listened to me, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> but you know, I've tried not to say that anymore in my, in my heart because I don't want to despise people. But the thing is that that's a skill. And if you read the Old Testament, New Testament, you know, a lot of times we confine our gifts of the Spirit to the ninefold ministries or the fivefold, whatever we call it. I don't really subscribe all the way to that. Because if you look in Genesis, <clears throat> you know, it talks about Tubal Cain, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to what? To craft all sorts of things with metal. The guy was skilled because of the spirit of the Lord enabled him to be skilled. And then Solomon was building the temple. And when David was preparing stuff, he said, there's a particular guy he calls. He says, this is the guy who's going to do all your gold work because my spirit is on him. So don't despise your regular daily skills that the Lord has given you just because you don't think you have the gift of preaching or healing or whatever it is. Because that is what God has designed you to do. If you're good at fixing things, like Jeremy Calhoun here, you need to look it up, oh yeah, this is what we do, you know, and then he does it, you know. I'm good at creating TV stuff, and, and it comes to me easy. It's not like I have to, I mean, you still have to learn skills, right? But God has, so if you're a good businessman, that's the gift the Lord has given you. I have some friends of mine who would feel down because they can't preach, you know, they're, they're not big socialites, you know. I said, dude, you're giving like, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church to do the Lord's ministry. That's your thing. So, you know, don't go trying to preach because God knows I'll fall asleep if you start talking. <laughs> or I'll have to laugh at you or something like that. But what I'm saying is that don't despise those gifts that the Lord has given you. Whatever thing that the Lord has given your hand to do, He has given it to you because that's something you're good at. <clears throat> so, you don't always have to be in front of people to, to be doing what the Lord has given. All right. When do we usually close? We're good? What? Nowish? Now okay. All right. You guys hang with me for a few minutes? So this is another big thing. Another story. So, you know, some of you don't know, but I, we had a child who passed away three years ago. 19 years old. He got hurt when he was about 11 and uh, incapacitated him, put him in a wheelchair for the next 10, 11 years. Uh, <clears throat> but during that time, when it first happened, he was at Vandy in the ICU for three weeks, all wired up, terrible thing. And he had to go to a specialty clinic in St. Louis, which is made for brain and spinal cord injury patients. And the uh, only thing he would respond to was family voices. So the Lord told me at that point the family is going to be part of his healing process. So the family had to go wherever, his name was Micah, and had to go wherever Micah was. So we picked St. St. Louis because it looked like the right place to do. But at this point, <clears throat> we are, I'm trying to figure out, like a two weeks before, a week before, how to move the whole family up to St. Louis. Because, I mean, I'm working here. Their kids have been homeschooled at this point. And so I'm looking for a place to stay because, I mean, there's no small thing. And we had several churches and friends who said, look, we'll help support, you know, your stay up there. So I'm going through apartments, houses. And about 15 minutes in, the Lord said, I've taken care of this. Shut it down. I've learned. Now, you say, well, that's nuts. I've learned over the years when he says he's taking care of it, it's taken care of. I closed out all the searches. Don't worry about it anymore. I'm still in my mind, I'm going, okay, how's this going to work? I mean, come on, you know, practically speaking, if you don't look for it, you ain't going to find it, right? <laughs> and we use seek and you shall find as that excuse, right? So as Christians, we can confound ourselves sometimes, when, you know, even in our obedience to the Lord. So anyway, <clears throat> I did this, and we're, we're out there, and, you know, it was a very intense time, and we, didn't, we asked people not to come up because we were in ICU all the time, and it was a big... And so, for the most part, nobody came. We just said, these are things we need. Somebody will bring us things. One day, I'm walking around, and Tina said, hey, uh, Cousin Tim, which is one of our... His church wants to come down and, and, and pray for, you know, and he didn't know if that was okay. I said, that's fine. Just like that. The only group, other than my Sunday school class, who took us to lunch... So they came down. Well, they came down. I come to find out their church is going through something that I'd helped another church. So for two hours, I'm giving them counsel on how to rebuild their church. They're like, man, we came all the way down here to pray for you, and here you are, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they said, so 15 minutes they prayed and they left. They drove four hours and went back the same day. I went back and shared the story. And that, you know, there's this couple, they were in St. Louis, et cetera, et cetera. So we have left St. Louis at this point. I mean, Nashville. Ambulance got Micah in front of us. Tina and I are behind it. And we have one night stay with a friend's house. 
We don't know where we're going tomorrow. Actually, I said you could stay there tomorrow too if you need to after that. Okay. On the way there, we get a phone call from our cousin. Say, somebody's going to call you. I think they may have something for you. Just in case you get a strange voice. Okay. So they call, and this lady calls. And she says, hey, I'm so-and-so. My name is Mary Warner Lake. And, you know, hey, I heard you guys are going to St. Louis. You need a place to stay. We have a house in this area out here, and it's empty right now. So you can stay there. And while she's talking, I tell Tina, I said, this is it. She has a house in a place like Germantown, okay? Six-bedroom house, fully furnished. Family's not selling it because the parents have gotten old and moved into their house. I said, come and stay. Why? One of the guys who came down with that group from Illinois to pray for us shared the story in his Sunday school class, and this lady is in her class. Doesn't know us from Adam. Give us their house for five months. I tried to pay rent. They wouldn't take rent. I tried to care of the yard. They said, no, we got it all taken care of. Your hands are full. There's food in the fridge. Please use it. Two days later, they show up with a van because they realized Tina didn't have Figure that out. Saying, what shall we do for your heavenly for do not worry about in trouble. Just take ten randomly. How many of it do you worry about it after those things? Eight to nine? We work, we go to the office, we save money, make sure our house is good, all those things. And the Lord is saying, Don't expend your energy on those things. We have to flip the equation at which we look at our lives. If God knows you need things, he's going to provide for it. Don't waste your energy going after things that you think you need. <clears throat> A part of it is because we're selfish people and we want stuff. Last thought. Well, maybe. When I was younger, my dad asked me one thing. We were having a conversation. How much food can you eat? Right after we get out of here, how much food can you eat? Till you're full, right? How many clothes can you wear? Unless it's really cold winter, several layers. Right? How much room do you need to sleep in? Like a six by three or something? That's what you need in life. Everything else is a luxury. Don't ever forget it. If every day you have that, you have enough. Right? So think... When you're working, doing things, trying to do this, trying to do that, you know, what is necessary, what is what you need, what you, what you want. Heavenly Father knows what you need, and he's going to take care of it, all right? Well, I hope I've given you something to be encouraged about, trusting the Lord more, maybe jump out of the plane with a parachute, without a parachute. Let me pray for you briefly. And Yep, he's not safe, but he's good. Father, I just thank you and I praise you because you're a good God. And even on my worst day, you somehow pick me up off the ground and give me something worthwhile to do. And because it's not because any of us are worthy, O Lord. It's just simply you love us because you're our heavenly Father. And we thank you. It's just that simple. That you, our Father, care for us, your children. And that 
you look to us and that your ears are bent to our cry and that you look and see what we have and that you're ever-present help in times of trouble. So, Father, I just pray that for everyone here and for those within the reach of my voice through electronics, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, I bind every doubt, every fear, every unbelief, Father, put it under the blood of Jesus, Father. We take those thoughts captive and they say they are nothing because our God is sovereign. He's seated on the throne. He's above all gods. He's able to do exceeding abundantly more than we ask or think. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to submit our lives to you in this vein and say, Lord, you are God. Your ways are not my ways. I know you care for me. So therefore, I come to you and say, Father, where else can we go? Because you have the words of life. So Jesus, just help us, Lord, and help us to see who you are and that you work not in just the huge things, but even in the very small things in our life. Because you're a good God and a kind God, and you have are your best intentions for us. So, Father, may your will be done. May your spirit speak to us. And, Lord, help us to bear fruit for you and to trust you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.